This is the Crit RPG Podcast, your one-stop shop for everything Lit RPG, Progression Fantasy, and Royal Road. Hi and welcome to the Crit RPG Podcast. With me today is Smiling Sater, author of Friendly Neighborhood Wizard. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I've had a nice relaxed day just outlining and talking to people, so it's been pretty good. Ooh. Ooh, I like that a lot. I I woke up this morning after a very rough night, and I was really looking forward to this interview. I still am. Just not saying I'm not, but uh, I'm tired. <laughs> I really am. Actually, Jolly and Mystic shouted you out last week. Oh, did they really? That's super nice of them. I was trying to get Void Herald to shout out Merchant Crab, but he hadn't read it. He was a great, great guest. He was sitting on his balcony, drinking tea, so... Every once in a while, you would hear tingling with the spoon and the cup. Ah, yeah. It was, ah, he was living the light. But yeah. I love balcony time. I do a, most of my writing out on the balcony that's just outside my living room, and it's very nice. Ooh. Do you live in a house or an apartment? I live in an apartment complex, and since we're on the second floor, the balcony is a little bit better than the ones down below and makes for the best environment for writing. I'm actually from California, but I live in Vegas. Yeah, now that you mention it, okay, yeah. You can always tell Californians because we speak pretty slowly. Yeah, it's all the drugs. I mean, yeah, of course. Oh, it absolutely is. Yeah. Any who's all. You want to talk about books? I would love to talk about books. Let's talk about books. What have you been reading that you've liked? To be honest, not as much as I would like. Because, I mean, maybe you know this too. I've been writing so much and editing the podcast and working 55 hours a week and getting upset about work that ah. I haven't really had the time. But I did read Ripple System 4 Shatter Soul, which is orgasmically good. Nice. Yeah, I've been falling into that trap as well with, you know, doing so much work in writing, sometimes falling flat reading falls by the wayside and it can be really disheartening as an author to realize that sometimes it's also dangerous eh? if you're not keeping up with the trends of the market that's very true though for me market is less of a concern i just write what i want to write and hope it matches up but mm -hmm. for those who are like seeking just chasing that market high and keeping up with things i imagine that would be a huge part of it it's also the question about whether you want to do this for a living or not i mean I'm not writing for the market. I think Torchbearer is very much not a market niche that can be fit on Royal Road. It's it's a sci-fi novel about a very emotional and distraught woman in her forties. So I don't think I don't think that's that's Royal Road material. Um, no, I know what you mean. Well, anyway, so I was reading I was reading Ripple System, which is great. I have been reading. Fallen Worlds, that was also good. And I've been reading... Oh, Dungeon Tour Guide. Ah, yeah, Dungeon Tour Guide. I actually just started that myself. Yeah. I'm not quite sure where the plot is going at the beginning. I think it could be, like, a little bit tighter. But I kind of love how the protagonist is very supportive. That's what I hear. And, you know, I'm friends with the author of that one. And it's been a really interesting journey hearing about it from behind the scenes without having read it yet. And... Hearing his attitude towards the story as it goes on and the common traps that a lot of people who write 
more, let's say, supportive main characters can fall into, like accusations of a spineless main character or weak or that compassion is bad or what have you. And I'm pretty sure he's gotten a lot of that too. Oh, yeah, totally. I think the trick when writing a character like that is to set definite boundaries and have the character be confident enough to know, okay, when shit hits that fan, they will know. And the entire world will know. That's what makes the character not super spineless, I think. Absolutely. One of the biggest things that you can show that always gives me the chills, at least, is when you have a character who's otherwise gentle lose their shit at something, finally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, have you watched Ted Lasso? No, I haven't seen Ted Lasso yet, but I look forward to seeing it. Yeah, it's a very cool one. One of my colleagues at work, because he's very much a coach, and I'm a coach IRL, right? So the way he's being treated comes across as very spineless. But you got to just go roll with the punches a lot. Even though even one of my colleagues said, like, he's just letting people walk all over him and it's not healthy. And I can see where she's coming from, definitely. Because in the second season, it really does get a bit obnoxious of the way how he lets people handle, like, treat him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. And the Jazz and Jolly, it's been, it's been like two hours with them and one and a half hours with Maxime. So I definitely need to think about how I can keep this to like a 30 to 45 minute format. Oh, that shouldn't be difficult. I am not someone who's used to just talking freely for a long period of time. I tend to give shorter answers. And so you won't hit an hour and a half with me. I guarantee it. Challenge accepted. No, but you seem to be a good listener and that's cool too. That's what I try for. I mean, you have two ears and one mouth, right? Is what people say. And I find uh, that when people talk, you give people room to talk, you can figure them out better. What makes them tick, what, mm -hmm. why they think what they do and the choices they make. And you either get a better appreciation for the person or you get the tools to destroy them. So it's like win-win. Absolutely. I think you would make a great coach. Well, thank you. I used to watch The Widest Kids You Know, which was very 90s. Oh, so good. Yeah. And uh, did you see the one about Abraham Lincoln? Oh, of course. Getting hammered in the ass so hard. Is that the one where he's shouting, and now you fucked up, and just irritates the shit out of John Wilkes Booth? Yeah, exactly. Listen to the woman, John. Oh, that one was so good. And the the head of Wise Kids You Know died like two years ago, way before his time. No. No, he did. Oh, my Lord. I didn't know about that. Yeah, it was either 2019 or 2020, I want to say. Hmm. Hmm. That's very sad. That was a really good show. And the humor was very caustic, but I never felt as though they were like deliberately making fun of minorities for some reason. It was, it was interesting. Oh, one of my favorite jokes they ever did was this, you know, fake letter. Dear black person, can you return the bike you stole? And, you know, you, you, a setup like that, you think it could go all kinds of terrible directions. And instead, it has a letter from the black guy saying, no, I sold your bike for drug money and it's just so in your face and over the top that i can't help but think you'd have to try to be offended by it exactly i also like the one where they have the nazis persecute jerks yeah Yeah, i don't know think someone just hiding a jerk in in their closet and it's super hard and that reminds me of of the good place it's so hard being your friend sometimes oh the good place is probably one of the best shows ever 
right? Just this morning, I thought about, I saw some pictures of the main character's actor in Disneyland with our family. And I thought like, hey, what would happen if I met her? And I decided I would just quietly write a letter, like slip it to her and just like walk away to not like a sort family time. That's what I always think is that I would see the person, you know, a celebrity actor, what have you, be like, huh, that's cool. And I would do my absolute best to not bother them because I wouldn't want to be that guy. Yeah, because I wouldn't want to be bothered, right? I mean, sometimes it really depends. So I know for a fact a person once removed, I met them at the party once, met Robert Downey Jr. in California while he was alone in a diner. And she knew, like, hey, don't go to him, don't talk to him, but she just couldn't resist. And she went by and said, like, hey, look, I really loved Iron Man. And it helped me in a very bad time in my life. It was very, very cheerful and funny. And it gave me a lot of hope. So thank you a lot for what you did in the movie. And his eyes just lit up completely. And he was like, you just made my day. Thank you so much. Right. Um, Oh, yeah. If you can tell someone that their performance, their art changed your life, then you got to give it a shot. Yeah, absolutely. It's very interesting, especially considering that Lit RPG did that for me. I started reading Lit RPG or listening to Lit RPG in earnest when I was burnt out. Like, not, oh, I'm, bit, I'm a bit stressed. I had literal burnout. I couldn't keep my emotions under control anymore. It was terrible. Oh, where it just re- reduces you to like a shell of who you were and you're constantly on edge? Yeah, exactly. Constant feeling of pressure in your chest. And what about Lit RPGs did it for you that made it better? I remembered listening to the Stormlight Archives. And I was like, hey, you know what? I really like audiobooks. I like long audiobooks. So what's a good long audiobook that's highly rated on Audible? And that was in 2021, I think. So I went out and I looked at highest rated audiobooks. And the highest rated one was He Who Finds Us Monsters. And I thought, that's a stupid title. But I want to buy it anyway. Because it seemed funny, right? So I bought that and boarded the plane to Modena, Italy. And had the same exact routine every day. I rented a bike. I drove from Bologna to Modena, which is like a two-hour, three-hour bike ride in sweltering heat. It was really cool. And then in Modena, I wore khakis and a polo shirt every day. Like I had several ones. Walked around this beautiful, really old city. Went into the park. Sat on the stone bench looking at a pond. Looked at the ducks and the little lizards skittering about. The sun would hit me through the leaves of this willow tree. And I would listen to He Who Fights the Monsters 1, then 2, then 3, and 4 on the right back. And that was so relaxing and so good. And I could just, you know, be off somewhere with Jason Asano. I think it was just to number 3, not number 4 by the time. And then when I came back, I was like, I need more. And the next one I listened to was The Perfect Run. That was also pretty cool. So meeting Maxime yesterday was a pretty, pretty cool, really cool little thing. Oh man, I bet. I told him as much too, and he appreciated it. So there we go. That was a really well done job of setting the scene for Italy too. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, oh man. Can you please stop being so nice? You make me feel like you're the host. Oh, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let me torture you with questions. Oh, hit me. So, you write a novel, and it's called Friendly Neighborhood Wizard. It has nothing to do with Spider-Man, has it? 
Nope, it's just there to get just a little bit of that association with Spider-Man to ride the coattails, mm -hmm. but without having to, you know, pay Disney. <laughs> okay. Yeah, with great power comes great alimonies, I guess. Great lawsuits. <laughs> great lawsuits, yeah. Do you want to talk about the book a little bit? What is it about? Well, it is about a young wizard named Wilbur McKenzie going back from wizarding college that he's just graduated and gotten his master's degree, basically. He comes back to his rural hometown and just is there to take the position of resident wizard and help people with their problems. And it's, you know, largely slice of life, though I do have plot and characterization going in the backgrounds at all times, but it's mostly meant to be one of those stories that are about the characters and just feeling good and overcoming relatable problems for the most part. Mm -hmm. Like uh, one of the early plots, or I guess middle of the book really is having to face with the prospect of helping out his former bully and whether or not he even wants to. Okay. Huh. I guess revealing if revealing that would be a spoiler. Oh, I mean, it's cozy. You could probably guess what happens. Let's be real. <laughs> yeah. With Mystic and Jolly, I think, at the time of this recording, when this is out last week, we spoke about the fact that cozy can mean killing kids and slaughtering your enemies. That is true. So, it really is up for grabs, people. Anything could happen. You should read the story. Yeah, cozy is, it seems like it's poised about to blow up pretty big, from what I understand, and... There's no rules now. Anything that we're doing on the ground floor, we're making the rules as we go. Oh, yeah. It's, it's very Wild West, right? It is, including some stories that might actually take place in the Wild West. Who knows? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard about some of those, too. So this could be fun. So I was wondering, what inspired you to write that story? Funny enough, it's a couple of things, but like all good endeavors, I started it to impress a girl. <laughs> okay. You know, there's talk in you know, Discord, uh, Council of the Eternal Hiatus, that I like to socialize in all the time. And there's talk a few months back about someone wanting to make a small Discord for cozy stories and, you know, encourage more people to write them. And I had just gotten Legends and Lattes at that point and was reading through it. And I, I really like the idea of a story where nothing major happens. It's all about the characters and their journeys. So mm -hmm. me and this other person in the Discord, Kitra, I started talking, using it as an excuse to talk to her more, seeing, you know, what type of cozy stuff she would make. And I just started bullshitting my idea for a story and it just wrote itself, basically. Ah, Spoiler, okay. it worked and I totally got Kitra's attention. Ooh, ooh. Senpai noticed you? Oh, she definitely noticed. She's actually coming to see me in a week. Well, okay. If this podcast series is not convincing you to write a lit RPG, now you'll probably be convinced congratulations man that sounds great well thanks and funny enough i am not what i would call a good-looking man but my writing has carried my love life my entire life <laughs> and i think a huge part of that has to do with being able to connect with another person and, you know make them feel really seen which a good mm -hmm. writer can do oh yeah absolutely so looking at your profile picture right now it is it has a top hat it is also an orc with huge tusks so that's me. It's actually my D&D &D character, Barbara On, half-orc barbarian. Ooh. Okay. He's it's not, it's just D&D, &D, not important. I mean, 
We've literally talked about Anchorman on this show, so... That's true. He is a half-orc barbarian where his mother was an orc and his father was a human, and he's out to reunite the kingdom so that he can dismantle the, anarch the monarchy in favor of socialism. Ah, okay. Now again, we're getting... Yeah, become king to become a socialist, you know. <laughs> socialist kings, yes. I think we might be getting into hot water with some of our listeners. That's fair. But that sounds actually pretty interesting. The big joke is that he doesn't actually know politics that well, so he just wants to do as much good as possible. And he's got, he's confused, but he's got the spirit. I like it a lot. Okay. Okay, so you started writing the story to impress a girl. It worked. Why do you keep going? Honestly, because it's just a lot of fun to write. It's something that I can, if I'm putting my mind to it, I can get a chapter out every day. And I really like to play with the structure and being able to outline a full book ahead and then see where I want to have certain beats has been really rewarding for this story in particular because it is low stakes and mm -hmm. I can just horse around and see where it takes me. Ooh, that's kind of cool. Okay. You were talking about plotting the entire book in advance. Are you a plotter then? I am a weird halfway point between the two where a lot of my natural inclination is to be, I guess they call it a pantser. I like calling it a gardener type writer better, you know, tending to mm -hmm. your garden, letting it cultivate on its own. But what I've really found is that when I do my rituals for outlining, I tend to start getting a bunch of ideas that I just, you know, start throwing out there on a board. And then I found it easy to start rearranging them for the major plot beats. And after that, outlining just something clicked and it became a lot easier to get full stories at a go. Okay, that makes sense. Without losing that sense of discovery, and that's the important part. Exactly. Finding that I think no one is a complete plotter or a complete pantser. No one, or gardener architect if you want. No one who's successful in any way, shape, or form is completely one or the other. It's all about finding the balance that works for you. I agree. Yeah. I plot a little bit. I know the general direction my story is going towards, but I discovery write all the emotions, I discovery write the characters, and I need to not know what happens at the end so that I can write it. If I know the end, I no longer want to write because I only know how it ends. I know exactly what you mean, and I've been in that position a bunch of times. Like my earliest and my earliest attempts at outlining usually ended that way where I would get either three quarters of the way done or maybe all the way done and be like, okay, it feels like I've already did it. What's the point now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The rest just seems like editing a lot. And it is in some ways, but then I started looking at it in a different way, right? Where I started taking a lot of people when they write, they are more happy to have written than to actually sit down and write, you know? Oh, yeah. And I've been guilty of that many times in my life, but I've found over the past year and a half or so, I've come to really love the work itself, the process of arranging the right words in the right order of, you know, trying to find exactly how I want to layer a sentence or a paragraph to look just right, that it's become, it's a joy unto itself. The finished product is just, you know, gravy. Yeah, exactly. For me, it's the same way, really, in this last year, getting into this rush, this this flow of writing when you forget the world around you and everything is just about the next word, the next sentence, or how you can hone 
that material that you just haphazardly threw on the on the page, how you can hone that so that it cuts people deep. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we're on the completely opposite spectrums of what we're writing. So you're writing a cozy stuff. I write about emotional trauma and overthrowing kingdoms and ruining entire landscapes. But I guess the the idea behind it is still the same, yeah? It's all just writing. And it's about writing something that touches people emotionally. Definitely. And in the case of your story, a huge part of it sounds like the character themselves. And I'm a firm believer that you can have the coolest plot ever, but if you don't have a character, you don't have anything. I don't know which author it was that I listened to. It was some sort of speech, and they said you can literally write a story about two stones, but if the two stones are people, someone's going to read it. Yeah, it's totally true. Isn't, I think that's exactly what happens in everything, everywhere, all at once. That's another I one I haven't seen yet, and I desperately need to. It's really good. 10% of that story is just two stones sitting on a canyon. There's just the wind blowing and subtitles. Oh, that sounds like it could be really good or really bad, but I love how daring it is. It is one of the most emotionally punchy parts of that movie are about those two stones. Well, now I have to see it. It's really good. Without spoiling too much, it is because... These stones, they don't have any big action anymore. They can't act. So it is just about the personalities. It's taking out all other distractions that is just personalities. And they nail it. I can dig it. I'd love to see how they execute that. So coming back to your story, or to you as a writer, we cut into it a little bit already. But my question would be, what's the best advice you've gotten as a writer? I don't know about best advice, but the funniest advice I ever got was actually from Ari Salvatore, you know, author of the Drizzit books. Yeah. He told me to quit. And I swear <laughs> he did it just to see the look on my face. And when I was outraged, he said, you know what? Take that feeling you got there and just let it drive you forever. Oh, that's good. And then you went out. And then I went out and wrote off and on for the next 10 years, not taking it seriously until just a few years ago. Because I find that when it comes to writing... It's an applied skill. You get what you put into it. But for a lot of people, they want to be a writer, but they're not quite ready mentally for it. And I think that's something that's changed for me recently. I think that yeah. the Royal Road environment and the Council of the Eternal Hiatus especially is good for that, making people ready for if they are. Exactly. For me, it actually even changed. I want to write more than I want to be a writer. That's a good distinction. For me, if I could just spend all my days happily plugging away the laptop or a page and just pushing out stuff and, yeah, maybe sometimes seeing Royal World numbers go up. That's nice. But mostly it's about finishing stuff and writing what I want to write. That's really interesting. How about you? That's a huge part of it myself. I've gotten enough projects done at this point that... I don't get as much from just getting partway through a story. To me, the biggest joy I get is when I actually have fully completed it and I could just set it aside as another done project. And mm -hmm. I want to add to that as much as I can. You've, you've, we've only got one life, and I want to see just how many books, how many projects I can complete in the next, say, 20 years. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And like a Friendly Neighborhood Wizard was actually really interesting for me in that in the past, it took everything I had to finish a book. And... 
Friendly Neighborhood Wizard, it took me three months to, from start to finish. Ooh, so it's already done? It is. I am adding a little bit more towards the end to pad out word count for publishers to take notice, but for the most part, it's just a bridge into book two. Okay, so you are continuing the series. Yes, I'm going for at least three books, I think. Okay, that sounds pretty cool. And even with Cozy being about low stakes, one of the things I'm looking forward to doing most is expanding a bit with each book. Like, first book is takes place in a rural village, and it's about the townspeople more than anything. But an event that happens at the end of book one opens it up to a lot more with a lot more magical creatures and an entire society coming unmasked in the vicinity. That's what I'm going to be exploring book two to really look at small towns and how they can relate to, you know, an alien culture being thrust on them. What is one thing that you improved on and that you now want to, well would want to go back to your earlier writing and change it retrospectively. I think passing of time would be a huge part of it. Some of my earlier writings, I constantly had this feeling like I needed to cover every major moment and go by it day by day. And nowadays I will take between major story beats a couple weeks, a month or what have you, and just let time pass and let a feeling of being there for a while happen. And I think that really adds a lot to feeling of progression in stories. As basic as it sounds. There's been a Reddit thread I've been reading yesterday about this exact thing that lit RPG or progression fantasy in general, readers really enjoy being part of the entire journey. But the commenter I had this talk with even underscored that it's not always the case because sometimes you don't need to describe every single punch in a training montage. Mm -hmm. And so I definitely can see where you're coming from, I think. Okay, that's a very good point. So the passage of time. And I find that a lot of web serials in particular, if you're going from major, major cliff and huge event to major cliff and event, you're going to eventually realize that it's taking place over a very short period of time. I, I like to point out Worm when I think of this, where everything that happens takes place over the course of like eight months. And it's an absolutely bonkers amount of fighting and dealing and betraying each other and coming back, you know, on another team. That would have worked well, much better if it had taken place over the course of a couple of years to be more realistic. But, you know, mm -hmm. Wild Bow was super just focused and it ended up just being compressed the way it is. And I think that's a lesson to learn to not do. I think it's also a trap that authors might fall into because for them it takes years to write it, right? Yeah. I have noticed this in my own book. So much that I actually have, will have to relaunch it and after heavy editing. Because I think the meat is good but the bones are too brittle. I know exactly what you mean. Right? My entire, my entire story so far, I think it's like 32 chapters right now, and it's just action, 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 action. And while that is only one day, well, not even, not even one day, it's like the course of like maybe three hours, reading through it almost in real time is very stressful to people. So I will need moments of calm. I will need moments to explain, oh, hey, my main character, while she is under a duff ton of, of threat and stress, she's not always teetering on the brink of insanity. So that's, that's something that I've learned too. So I can kind of relate, I think. That's another thing as far as writing advice that I would give myself would be, is to take those moments for breathers and to not be afraid to take your time and in those transitional chapters, those in-between chapters to give readers a breath, just 
it's not hard to find something interesting to do with your characters on internally if nothing else is happening externally. Yeah, exactly. Or even having two characters have a dialogue. I often fall into this trap where I have my main characters be too, too close, tight-lipped about their own feelings towards other characters or questions that they have. Because for me, they're like already solved, but I need them to externalize these questions more. And you have to do it in a way that's smooth and readable and doesn't seem contrived. It, it can be a pain when your characters are tight-lipped. Exactly. And also, uh, you don't want to have a, an exposition dump. Nah, the, it's a joy to find the best way to work exposition in naturally. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay, so what's one new book that you love, and why do you love it, and why is it awesome? How new are we talking? Last year. And preferably something on railroad. That's hard, because I've... You said you had that period of time where you weren't reading, right? Yeah. I've been going through a bit of that myself, and I'm just now getting past it. With all of the drama involving Reddit, I've stopped using social media as much, so I've gotten back into reading, like, really hardcore over the last few weeks. And it's not the newest, but I'm currently been, I'm reading through the All the Skills books, and I'm on, I just started book two today. Oh, okay. And I guess that technically counts since the, the ebook for it came out just a few days ago. I'll allow it. Whew. So why is it awesome? So full confession, I don't actually write a lit RPG and I'm not as big on them as I am other genres, but all the skills does card, not card battling, but a deck builder lit RPG and it does it really, really well. Every type of information you get is trickled in just the right amount. The abilities are cool and well thought out. The world is rich. It's just, it does everything right. Oh yeah, absolutely. This brings me to my next question though. Do you have any shout-outs that you want to do? I do, actually, and one I've been really looking forward to doing. I've shouted out from my story itself, but I want to get as many eyes on it just because the world-building is just so rich. It's called A Coven of Kobolds by Kelpie Kobold on Royal Road. Oh, okay. What is it about? It is an isekai, and it's about a girl who's dying, and she tries a last-ditch effort for what she thinks is just nonsense chaos magic to slip into a new world. And she finds herself in the body of Kobold, which is like, you know, dragon fox-like creature who's just come of age and is about to come into her magic. And it's her navigating oh. that world and trying to find her place in it. Oh, that's pretty cool. What's the, what's the, what's the first cool conflict? First cool conflict is the fact that she's in the body of someone who's apparently really well hated and she doesn't know why. Oh, oh, here we go. This is, this sounds nice. It turns out the body that she's now inhabiting was infamous. Huh. I think, I think we shouldn't be talking about more. I think people should just read it. I, I agree. I'm going to link it underneath this episode, where you will also find a link to my Patreon. I'm not very good at shouting myself out or shilling, but... Give him money! <laughs> Thank you. The thing is, yeah, I'm spending about 10 to 12 hours a week on this already and more with longer episodes. And between the work and all the other stuff, I really can't keep on like this. So I've been thinking about maybe switching jobs, and I would very much like to keep doing this. So maybe even, you know, going half-time on my main job and going half-time podcasting and writing. So if you're enjoying what you're listening to, then please 
maybe throw a few bucks my way. I think by the time of when you will hear this, I will have bonus content on my Patreon and on the $15 tier, I will even have user questions for stuff I will be recording in July. So if you're into that, if you want to get in on some cool user questions, or if you want to have some bonus content about, for example, Seder and I talking about, well, the gay agenda. The gay agenda. The gay agenda. Then please do head to my Patreon and check it out. That's the fun after dark content. <laughs> after dark content very much. We were also talking about, well, I can't say. The shout out I want to give today, maybe matching your story a little bit, is my sons and I got isekai'd to the losing goblin side by Dad's Bedtime Stories or Sean Wilson. Oh yeah, that guy's great. I love that guy. That guy is amazing. He's part of Quit RPG, so full disclosure, but he has six sons, six, and I think one daughter, so seven kids or six kids in total. I don't know. And like half of them are adopted and he just is a really cool, interesting guy. Yeah. I don't think he knows how many kids he has, but yeah, he's all over the place. Like he's going to Africa, building trade schools. He's digging wells. He's all over the, the discord sphere, spreading love. He's a really cool dude. And I think not only that deserves some support, but the fact that all the stories he's writing are stories he's been telling his kids. So. Yeah, go check it out. Dad's Bedtime Stories, all one word, with each word capitalized. And the story is called My Sons and I Got Isekai'd to the Losing Goblin Side. It's about eating hearts. Well, that's where all the power is stored, so... Exactly. I mean, and power is really at the, excuse me, heart of the story. Crit uh... RPG Podcast, everyone. Thank you so much. Yeah, and that was the shout-outs. So... Any last closing words? Oh, uh, let me think. Reading is good. You know, something nice and thought-provoking there. Yeah, reading is good. Also, someone on Reddit thought it was hilarious. I was shouting out bookstores, physical bookstores, because they have little to do with lit RPG. And I want to think, I thought about that for a second. And I think that person really wants to say that lit RPG should be relevant in a physical space. I think that would be very nice. So yeah, go and go to your local bookstores and maybe at some point when lit RPG breaks into the big spheres, hopefully in a good way, you will be able to buy lit RPG in your local bookstore and hang out with really cool people while you do it. Wouldn't it be something uh, lit RPGs ended up in airport bookstores? Oh yeah. And then Brandon Sanderson could sign them. That would be something. <laughs> Wouldn't it? Yeah, Brandon Sanderson writing lit RPG is definitely a thing that should happen. Mostly because I could be getting him on the podcast. <laughs> ah, man, who knows? He might actually say yes to your podcast to be it big enough, even without the lit RPG part. Oh, yeah, maybe, maybe. I think how it's going to go is the following. I'm going to write an email going like, yo, Brandon, I think I'm, I'm ready now. And he would, be, he would be like, Maddox, thank you. I've been waiting for this call my entire life. <laughs> Please, yes. Let me come to your podcast. That's such a good impression of him. Wow. It is not, but thank you so much. <laughs> and now that we've gone to the crazy part, this is it. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And next week, we will have a new guest whom I haven't recorded yet. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Quit RPG podcast, a podcast 
where we talk about eating people's hearts and cozy wizards. Read Friendly Neighborhood Wizard. Read Friendly Neighborhood Wizard. And do come back next week. I love having you all here. Thank you so much. And see you next week. Bye, guys. This episode has been brought to you by the Council of the Eternal Hiatus. If you're looking for a Discord server to discuss, read, or write lit RPG, this is the place for you. The server's hella queer, so everyone is welcome. You can find an invite link in the description below this episode.